On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking about the merger, buyout, takeover, whatever you want to call it, of Rogers and Shaw, and the suggestion that somehow this will improve competition. How? Well, we'll try and figure that one out. We're going to be talking about the soccer game that apparently is going to be played at Tim Hortons Field, Canada and the U.S. World Cup qualifier. That's a big deal. And the calls for a boycott of the Beijing Olympics just keep getting louder and louder. Is this something that is reasonable, feasible, possible, likely? We'll talk about that too. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Rogers Communications, as you've probably heard, and Shaw, Rogers trying to buy Shaw Incorporated, $26 billion takeover. And wanted to talk about this because one of the things that was said in the hearings this week that I, this may simply be that I'm not smart enough to keep up with this stuff. And that's, that's very possible. But something that was said just seems so contrary to common sense and logic that I thought maybe someone else who really understands this better can walk me through this and tell me what I'm missing here. The comment was, uh, Edward Rogers, who is the chair of Rogers, uh, told the CRTC hearing in Gatineau that if they were to take over Shaw Communications, it will enhance competition. So having fewer players will have better competition. Hmm. Uh, Ben Kloss is a uh, telecom he studies telecom policy as a PhD candidate at Carleton University. He joins us now. Ben, thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Hey, good to be here, Scott. So uh, maybe you can help me out because I'm not getting this. How does having fewer players in the telecom world increase competition? The short answer, Scott, is that it doesn't. This is just a line that monopolists use to try and sell these types of deals so that they can benefit while the rest of us pay out of our pockets. But this is okay. Um, and that's, that's how it strikes me because again, logic would say fewer people means less competition. But if you're going to say this in front of the CRZ, in front of a public commission, surely you have to have thought through and thought, okay, I've got to be able to defend this somehow. So what's at least the defense to that point? Did we hear anything that would defend that logic? So the logic goes like this, Scott, that bigger is better and that a company like Rogers needs to combine with a company like Shaw to become bigger, to compete against the, the likes of Netflix and Disney and all these other companies that they portray as threats coming into our broadcasting system. I don't see these companies as threats, personally. I see them as providing valuable services that Canadians enjoy and are willing to pay for, whereas companies like Rogers and Shaw are looking to capture people into the system of Canadian broadcasting and cable television. So they sell this idea that they need to become bigger in order to meet these threats. When the fact of the matter is what we need is more competition and more players to provide innovation and and benefit consumers. Okay. So let us, let us follow through even with the example that they need to be bigger to deal with the competition. How would being bigger help them to do first of all your point i think is well taken i think a lot of people like disney plus and like netflix and these things but if you become bigger is the idea then that that would drive down the price of those services or or what are you becoming bigger to do well essentially what they're becoming bigger to do and you know let's let's not mince words here what this deal is really about 
is eliminating competition in the wireless and home internet sectors. So Rogers is upset that it's having to compete uh, with Freedom Mobile in Ontario, BC, and Alberta for mobile services. And the real deal with this merger is about buying up that fourth competitor so that they don't have to compete there anymore. Right? They'll become bigger, and they're saying we'll be more effective against the competitors like Rogers and, Shaw, uh, Rogers and Bell and TELUS. But, uh, you know, in fact, what it is is like a, a competition of Goliath versus Goliath versus having many different smaller competitors in the market. But even what you just explained is, okay, we're going to become bigger so we can be more competitive against those smaller players. But those smaller players, if they are offering lower costs, you want those players in the market because then it's going to, by competition, cause Rogers and others like the big ones to have to be keeping their prices in check, right? Yep. Okay. I, I'm... I'm like, look, I, I completely understand why companies want to buy other companies. I get the business world. I understand that kind of stuff. I get, like, I'm not arguing against the concept and I'm not arguing against the idea of growing your company, regardless of how big your company is. I get that. I just don't understand how you can try and make this case and how it makes any kind of logical sense. I just don't understand that. Yeah, you know, I mean, like the, the standard economic theory is that a, a company that's large is able to innovate. It's able to figure out ways of delivering things for less cost, driving driving the cost down, innovating, providing the same service for less, you know. But n- none of that really is in play here. You know, Canadian companies are essentially buying technology from manufacturers that are based in America. You know, Rogers Cable Division is reselling Comcast cable technology just the same as Shaw is doing it you know I mean largely these types of arguments are theater you know and and that's that's the fact if you want to get down to the facts of it um, uh, for someone like Edward Rogers to get up in front of the CRTC and say uh, we need to become bigger to become competitive with the companies like Netflix they're not even really competing with Netflix this is all about getting the government's approval to to have this merger so that these companies can monopolize the industries that provide Canadians with communication services that they all rely on, you know, so I, I don't have any time for those types of arguments. I've seen this before when Bell bought MTS in Manitoba in 2017, they made the same type of arguments. And since then we've seen mobile wireless prices rise in Manitoba. You know, it, it, it's theater. There's really not very much to these arguments, but unfortunately I don't think there's much standing in the way of Rogers taking over Shaw, at least not as far as the CRTC is concerned. Uh, ben, my memory is failing me here. I know in the last federal election, it wasn't that long ago, just a month or so ago, but at least one of the parties, and I thought it was the Liberals, but maybe it was the NDP, um, vowed as one of their campaign promises that they were going to ca- or lower cell phone rates. Do you remember which one that was? Was it the uh, Liberals? Yeah, so, uh, there have been commitments by a variety of parties. Uh, it was the Conservative government that brought in the policy of increasing competition in the wireless market by bringing a fourth provider. Freedom Mobile, the company that Shaw purchased in 2016, has been that provider. And in recent years, we've seen improvements in the mobile wireless market in provinces where Freedom operates, uh, Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. The Liberal government, when they first came in, uh, made a similar commitment, but they've since pivoted to the idea that they need to promote investment in the uh, in, in this industry. I think that's largely a euphemism for doing what the companies want. And the NDP has committed to a policy of regulating the rates which, quite frankly, I think 
is something that we need to look at if this merger goes through. Because if there isn't competition, then the only recourse for consumers is to regulate the rates. Because we're not talking about people buying luxury goods here. We're talking about buying mobile wireless service. We're talking about buying internet, Mm. the type of things that the pandemic has taught us everyone relies on in their daily lives. I mean, and the reason I asked that question was not as a political thing so much as can the government of the day squeeze or influence the CRTC right now? In other words, could they say, yeah, go ahead and let this happen on the condition that as part of the agreement, there is a cap on cell rates or in- internet rates or something like that? Or, or are these two entirely separate entities that one cannot force the other to do anything? So part of the problem with this current review that's going on at the CRTC is that despite the fact that this is the federal regulator tasked with overseeing competition in the internet and wireless space and the broadcasting space, the legislation that empowers them doesn't allow them to actually look at the most important aspects of this merger, which is the telecommunications aspects. So from the perspective of a broad type of institutional reform, I believe that we do need that type of reform to enable the CRTC to look at this issue from a holistic perspective, whereas for now they're they're restricted to looking at the very narrow aspects of the merger that relate to broadcasting. Um, it, in, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, we got to run, unfortunately, but it's, it's a, it, look, I, again, I get why it's being done. I understand the business component of this. I just, I, I, I'm, I appreciate you letting me know that I have not completely lost my mind and the idea of competition is not suddenly getting better despite what is said here. That made no sense. Um, Ben Kloss, really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for this. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last Sunday, I was watching some football on TV and uh, it was not going well for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, In fact, it was going rather poorly for the Buffalo Bills. They were... um, they were having their bottoms spanked, as it were. And, uh, you know, they kept showing the Buffalo Bills sideline and people upset. And right in the middle of it, holding the sticks on the chain crew, there was Steve Foxcroft just looking like he didn't want to get caught up in any kind of shenanigans or whatever else. Uh, Steve, have you um, did you hear words that you'd never heard before during that game? There was a few upset people, that's for sure. But, you know, uh, we we do try and put the cotton batten in our ears to stay warm, stay dry, and not hear those things, you know? Like, you know what's interesting about that? It was about 30 years ago, just down the hallway, that Frank Reich had the comeback game. He was the that's quarterback, right. you know? 30 years yeah, later, he's up the hallway, and it's sort of the same thing in a different way. He had the comeback. Yeah. Now he had the big, the big slaughter. Yeah, Frank Reich, of course, now the coach of the Indianapolis um, Colts. And I, for a second there, I had a brain fart on the name, Indianapolis <laughs> Colts. And uh, yeah, he was the backup uh, when they beat when they came back to beat Houston in the playoffs from down, what was it, 35-3 or 32-3 they uh, were down at that 35-3, time? 35-3, I believe, yeah. yeah I think and then they come back. Um, I, I, was, I must say, Steve, something happened in that game, and we weren't going to talk about this, but since I brought it up, since I brought it up, this is, this is how you talk about a topic you had no planning on. Um, there was a moment, and I've never seen this before, where the referees signaled first down. So you guys picked up your gear and moved into the new position, and then they changed their mind and said, oh, wait, maybe it wasn't a first down. Come back, come back. And how do you know where to put the sticks back again then when you've already had moved? That's a great question, and we do have it uh, looked after. We use two clips, and, you know, they say it's a game of inches. It's actually a game of a chain link. And uh, so we have a clip 
and we know what yard line it was on. We spin a dial on it, and it says, say, 45-yard line. So when we set to, to do the new downs, we put a new clip on. So we always leave that clip on until in case something like that happens. So that's what happened. I think the Bills were upset that they granted them the first down and wanted to look at it again a little closer. So we went back. We grabbed the first clip, went back to the yard line, uh, and then ran out on the field and used that clip, the original clip, to do the measurement. And as you saw, what I was proud of, when we started the drive, it was on a half-yard line. It wasn't even on a line. And we had that thing right down to the, to the inch. All right, so in all down. the years, how many years have you done this now? Oh, 30 years. Okay, 30 years. In all the years that you've done this, how many times have you had to go back to your previous spot after you've picked up the sticks? Great question. I think that was the first time. I think that <laughs> so, was the first time. So thousands of times you've marked those little, and, and the clips, the people don't know maybe what the clip is. It goes onto the chain, and regardless of where the 10-yard chain sticks are, you find one of the major lines. So let's say a 45 Correct. or a 50 or whatever. Yeah. And you put that little clip so you can find where you can line things up again. But yeah, yeah. all those times you've done that. And finally <laughs> it was useful. Usually it's not a measurement involved. Usually it's you go back to a yard line because there's been a penalty or something. And we had that one time where they went back to the 45 yard line and they went to the wrong 45-yard line. So that's a 10-yard swing. And I, I had it written down. I write down every play, the yard line, and where it is, like what down, how much to go, and what yard line it's on. And, and for 30 years, I've kept track of it's the Bills 45, or it's, in this case, the Colts 45. So I said to them, I go, no, 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 you got to go back to, like, the Dallas 42-yard line or whatever. And we eventually corrected it and got it right. And another one happened in this game where we lost a down, too. And uh, they tried to go to fourth down, but it was third down. So I said, I'm not switching the down because it's only third. I'm not going to fourth. They should just let you call the games. That, that Then it would be done right. All these amateurs in the stripes. Let, just let Steve Foxcroft do it and everything will be fine. Let the Foxcrofts know how to referee. Exactly. We, we It happens sometimes in the snow, right? When we can't see the field, I say, you put the ball down and I'll put my pole where the ball is. And I'll let you know if it's first, second, third, or fourth down. Well, okay. Speaking of snow and fields, great segue. You had no idea that that was what was needed, but it's a great segue. We are hearing, there's, there's a tweet that is out today. Let me pull this up. It is from mm -hmm. Stephen Goff, who, who writes for the Washington Post. He's their soccer writer. And he has tweeted today that January 30, the World Cup qualifying match between Canada and the U.S. is going to be at Tim Hortons Field in Hamilton. Um, are you a soccer guy at all? I didn't grow up as a soccer guy, but I'll tell you, I'm a soccer guy now. And I was more of a soccer guy in the last week or so too, right? Like I'm a Canadian soccer guy. And and yeah, I with my buddy Gareth Wheeler who calls the games and he's tremendous at it. Uh, you know, it was three years ago, four years ago. I can't remember now when the Women's World Cup was on and they had the pre-tournament game with the women at Tim Hortons Field. And it was fantastic. Even if you're not into soccer, just the 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 atmosphere of the Canadian yeah. crowd and that and and that was a pre-tournament game against England that mattered for squat. It was just for, you know, getting in shape, really. Right. This you know, game matters for everything. In the Halton area covering it, Megan Doherty went to North Carolina on a soccer scholarship. But then there was Kara Lang from St. Thomas Aquinas yep. High School. 
And she went on to play on the national team and was tremendous. And I think just got really upended with injuries because she played so well and so hard. But that's when I, I started to enjoy soccer those years ago. And mm. it's a great game. Do you know, and, do you know who Carol Lang married? Oh, I do, and I forget because it was—it's a big deal. It's someone famous. Yeah, she married one-time Blue Jays ace pitcher Ricky Romero. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I should have asked that. That's a great trivia question for your show, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't have it on the tip of my. No, tongue. no, no. But I, I look at this one, and I think you know that women's game. As I say, it was fun. It was great. It was a fantastic atmosphere. All the rest, but it was all but meaningless. This game is going to be massively meaningful. And I'm not a dyed in the wool soccer guy. I grew up playing soccer, but I, I don't follow premier league. I don't follow the Bundesliga mm. or Syria or any of those, but I got to tell you, I'm excited about this one because of the meaning of it. And because it's here, I think it'll be terrific. It'll be dynamite. And I think it was between BMO and Tim Hortons field. And we may have got it just because of field conditions. And of course, it has to be in the Eastern time zone because of the travel schedule, right? Mm. Like it's a great three game little series they have coming up. They go to Honduras and three days later, come back to play hopefully at Tim Hortons field as the Washington post is reporting against the USA who we drew against. And then we got to go right back down next door to Honduras a, a couple days later to play El Salvador. But the good thing about this three game series is those teams are at the bottom of the pool, right? They're like seventh and eighth place. And USA is right behind us. So hopefully it's a chance for us to pad our lead, take care of the U.S. at home here with a rabid fan base at Tim Hortons Field. And I'm excited about it. And how about Hamilton? Grey Cup, Heritage Classic, now this CONCACAF qualifying game. Like, it's a, we got big things happening in town. Yeah, we do. And, I'll, you know, I'm thinking of this, your, your travel log there of going from Honduras and then playing in Canada. Years ago, we came home, my wife and I came home from a trip down south. We landed in Buffalo and we had to go get our car. And of course, me being the moron that I am, um, I had forgotten, or I guess I hadn't forgotten. We had decided when we dropped the car off in the parking lot to go to the airport, that I was going to leave my winter coat in the car because I wasn't going to need my winter coat again you step out the sliding doors from the Buffalo airport into the outside after you've been down in the South. And that feels like someone is taking frozen knives and jamming them into your liver. And I can just imagine the folk, the, well, we saw it with Mexico, the Honduran players coming up here and having to step out the door and play in those kind of conditions. That That's why we're doing it. That's why yeah. Canada's doing this just to use whatever advantage you can. It's, it's just like you. Yeah. It's just like you at the Buffalo airport, right? You didn't want to go out and play a soccer game right then. So that's, that's probably where the idea came from, from your Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, they, they followed my travel and uh, decided how to do this. Uh, adding to my complete ignorance, by the way, when I did that and decided that I wouldn't need my winter coat, Steve, while we were away, there was an ice storm and then a snowstorm. So my car was covered in about half an inch of solid ice. So I couldn't get in and had to stand out in my short sleeves, chipping away at this to try and get in with my coat inside. You know, it's, that's I'm hoping that's what it's card, like for the Honduras players. A bank card or maybe even the old fashioned, like some of us don't even have car keys anymore, right? It's all like kind of push button, but they come in handy on those kind of days. And you got to remember the pole you park near too. Right, like I that's, just, I, that's I just hope it's like this for the Honduras players when they come up. I don't want to be too mean, but you know, all's fair in love and soccer. Uh, come <laughs> up here, and it's absolutely frozen. The field is solid ice. 
Use your advantage. Have the Canadian yeah. players with with skates on if you have to for the to exactly. get a grip. But... And great for Hamilton too, because isn't it great where you can go somewhere such a big event, fifteen twenty minutes away for us? And we all know how to get to. That's one of the things about where they put Tim Hortons Field in the same place as Ivor Win. For all of our lives, we only know how to get there, and we all have our way and where we park and how we get in and out. So it's going to be fabulous. Steve Foxcroft, always appreciate it. Thank you. Enjoy catching up, Scott. Talk soon. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. My guest recently wrote a piece for the online site, The Conversation, which, by the way, is a really interesting place to read some interesting stuff. Um, It was under the headline, as the Beijing Winter Olympics countdown begins, calls to boycott the, quote, genocide games grow. Now, we've discussed this topic before on the show, and there have been growing calls for this in different corners, as the headline suggests. However, the recent headline, the recent situation, pardon me, uh, involving Chinese tennis star Peng Shui has made this even louder. I want to bring in Dr. Richard Baca. He is a senior lecturer in the Department of Sport and Exercise Science at Victoria University in Australia. He is an Olympic scholar. He's co-director of the Olympic Research Network. And he is a McMaster grad after all that. He joins us now. Dr. Baca, thank you for doing this today. Thank you, Scott. Really appreciate you joining us. Um, I think we'd all love to have a really simple yes or no answer about whether or not this is a worthy thing, the idea of a boycott and whether this should be done. I, I, I don't think it's a simple yes or no question, is it? No, you're right. It isn't a simple yes or no. It's got so many complexities with all sorts of different players involved course the i think the top of the list are the athletes the athletes mm. don't want to miss out on olympics and it's proven that boycotts just don't serve a purpose and we've been you know without boycotts in the olympics for a while so the athletes don't want to boycott they're one of the groups but there's several others that we can talk about and uh, athletes are allowed now to protest they had a, a charter rule 50.2 was modified slightly for tokyo where they can do modest protests against issues like Black Lives Matters or something else, but not overt and not really outgoing. So the Chinese wouldn't like a protest that was really outgoing. So that could be their form of a protest, but it wouldn't be a boycott. There doesn't seem to be an athlete support for a boycott. Other than Ennis Cantor, the basketball player, was calling mm-hmm. for it, but his sport is basketball, which isn't even in the Winter Olympics. But I admire his stance on this. There have been, though, in addition to Ennis Cantor, I mean, in the last number of weeks, and, and largely this is the Peng Shui story, and anyone who doesn't know what this is, go look it up. It don't, don't go by my, my pronunciation. It's P-E-N-G. It looks like Peng, but go look it up. Um, there have been a lot of big-name athletes that have now suddenly started to be a little more vocal about the idea that something is going on and something needs to happen. Yes, they'd like to put pressure on China somehow to make sure that Peng Shui is fine. And a lot of the tennis players, Serena Williams and a number of others have come out. Of course, tennis is an Olympic sport, albeit summer, but they've come out. Uh, but again, they're not calling necessarily for a boycott because then athletes miss their whole maybe once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because the games only come on every four years unless there's a delay like there was in Tokyo. So, you know, there's some type of protest the athletes can, you know, probably follow up on. The boycotts seem to be coming from other areas, the uh, pro-Tibetan groups and Human Rights Watch in the Worldwide Network. You know, they're calling for boycotts, but there isn't support within the IOC. They don't want to do it. They, you know, their bottom line is to make money for these Olympics and have them go ahead. And 
they've tried to use quiet diplomacy on this Peng Shui. So Thomas Bach, the president, who's from Germany, had a meeting with them, um, with Peng Shui there, but it looked like there was communist officials there. So not sure how free she was to talk or say she was okay. So it's a, a pretty complex issue, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to play out in the next uh, week or so, because we already had maybe a diplomatic boycott from politicians. So Canada's saying they're maybe going to support the U.S., and Britain in doing a diplomatic boycott. So don't send your VIPs or your politicians. But someone like Sebastian Coe, the former Olympian and head of LOCOG that ran the 2012 London Olympics, he's president of the World, World Athletic Association, he's saying, you know, that's not the right approach to... Um, you know, to, you know, to have a, you know, a boycott and, and not show up the games. He's saying, you know, we need to show up sports being used as a pawn in all of this. Dr. Bach, I got to tell you, I, my, I've been writing so fast while you've been saying this. I got so many things I want to pull out of what you just said. I don't know if I can read my writing, but nonetheless, I'm going to give it a go here. Um, the idea of Thomas Bach, that this, this story that we saw that, that the head of the IOC had this video conference with Peng Shui and, um, some people say, hey, look, that proves that she's alive and well. Others are saying it was a hostage video. Uh, it's probably somewhere in the middle of there, closer to the second one. But the IOC, I would think, is treading into some pretty delicate, pretty dangerous territory when it injects itself in the middle of a, a story like this that has such human rights ramifications because she had accused a very high-ranking Chinese official of sexual assault. You start getting into the middle of that, you got bigger things than just the games that you're playing with here now. Yes, it's a different issue than the ones, you know, until this Peng Shui incident happened, I think everything could have been, could, could have been tolerated and it could have been overcome. But this has added a new dimension to it all that, that we haven't seen before. And it's, it's, it's a testy one it's uh, you know it involves uh, you know a predator perhaps uh, in, a, in a sexual relationship and forcing it on the tennis player and if you read the inside stories of it all it, it went on for a, for quite a while and uh, it took a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude on her part to actually come out and and do this because there was going to be ramifications for her so it's really a really interesting one and it, it tugs at the heartstrings of people um, in a way that some of the other issues uh, don't. So it's, it's an individual thing and it's a person involved. So, Well, yeah, and, and we're hearing people say now that Thomas Bach and the IOC are simply becoming a, a, a voluntary, although maybe not for this reason, but becoming an arm of Chinese propaganda. That, that's not somewhere you want to be. That's not something you want to be known as. No, exactly. I mean, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And in hindsight, my advice to them, well over a year ago, when this was still a big issue, would have been, think about moving the games. Think about taking away to China. And I know it was a big call, but, you know, maybe Pyeongchang, which hosted them in 2018, or Vancouver, which did a great job in 2010, could have, with a year's notice, hosted them. Or even, if it gets really ugly now, there could be a postponement, just like there was in Tokyo, but a relocation. And that would hurt China a lot. They'd probably pull out of the Olympic movement. But that maybe should have been done in hindsight, but it's too late now. They don't want to move it. You know, sponsors don't want to go there. There hasn't been a big boycott. There was a call for a media boycott of the games, mm. and that, of course, isn't uh, been widely supported. But this new issue is causing all sorts of new problems for the Chinese uh, Communist Party, who are really behind the Olympics, and their BOCOG, their organizing committee. What about, you mentioned the word quiet diplomacy or quiet politics that, that the IOC says it likes to do. 
is that something that can work in this place? Because this is that seems like something you do when there's something that's on a low scale, a low level, one small issue that may have to be dealt with. This seems like a massive issue that the entire world is watching. Now, I don't know that quiet politics is going to work. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's going to work either. And it, it may be such a, you know, a reaction to this whole thing. We'll see the Chinese maybe release her. Uh, if they want to save the games and they don't want all this negative press, and, and they're probably not knowing what to do with the whole case themselves, if they released her, got her out of China, proved that she was okay, maybe she doesn't even want to stay in China. Who knows what's happening there? She's probably got family. I'm not sure the inside situation with herself, but she's really had guts to put this out there at the moment and then you know the repercussions that follow but the quiet diplomacy is not i think uh you know a, a correct approach it's going to it's going to escalate you mentioned that this is not fair to the athletes and i agree with you i mean they've worked for years to get here and and they're not the cause of this they become victims if you boycott granted at the same time one of the concerns that people are now saying is look if china theoretically could take one of its own most high profile athletes and make them go away or disappear or be under control or whatever. Could this not happen to a foreign athlete who falls afoul of some rule? Do you think that's a, do you think that that could possibly happen that a foreign athlete could find themselves in the same situation? Well, we, we probably, there's a few test events in China at the moment and um, you know, we're not seeing any athletes doing overt protests or things that would get them into hot water. Maybe when the games start, there'll be something more active. The world's press will be there, for example. And, you know, if the Chinese couldn't, uh, you know, punish an athlete from another country, maybe kick them out of the country, but it would be you know, maybe fine them. But would they get the money even? It'd be difficult for them. But maybe the athletes have got some things in mind that after seeing what's happened that they might now do that they weren't anticipating before this this latest situation came to the forefront. What about the idea, and you mentioned it, and we had a, a um, I can't remember her name now, Ladin, uh, her name, who, who was behind the movement to get the media blackout of this, that we're going to have a media boycott. So NBC decides they're not going to go and cover the Olympics, which means no coverage, no attention, no profile to China. Uh, is that a realistic thing to do? Could there be enough public pressure that even if the games go ahead, you wouldn't see the games? Oh, I think it's too late. It's too far down the track for that. And the IOC derives so much money from its broadcasting rights. And um, in Canada, I know the Tokyo Games were, were fantastic. Scott Russell uh, did a paper on how good the coverage was within the public and how good the games were for, for Canada in the Tokyo Games recently. So I don't think we're going to see that call for a media boycott. Uh, a university professor at Western uh, recently, um, Mac Ross, he wrote a paper calling for a media boycott. He wrote it in the conversation, too. You could look that up, but there hasn't been widespread support for that um, that particular direction. So you've got these different areas. Also, sponsors, too. There was a call for pressure by the human rights groups for sponsors to, to maybe boycott and not do things. But again, there hasn't been a, wide set, a widespread acceptance for that. This Peng Shui thing might change that a little bit, but I don't think so. It's We're less than three months away, and but it'll be interesting in the next few weeks to see what happens with this. As I said, a, a fallback might be that she's let out of the country or that she's it's proven um, because the World Tennis Association don't, doesn't think, as you pointed out, that that interview, you know, it, it, it was uh, a renegade interview. It wasn't really uh, legit. And NBC, any idea that NBC would 
do this to to give in or to follow or whether it's do the right thing or succumb to pressure or whatever. If NBC ever did that, I would assume that the IOC would tell NBC, that's it, you're done. You're not getting to bid on the Olympics ever again. That's big money for NBC. They'd be giving yeah, it down it'd, the road. It'd be a real dogfight if all that happened. Um, it'd be you know a major issue because they sign up for two, three, four Olympics and spend billions of dollars doing that. So it'd be a real dogfight. And um, as I said, it's very late in the piece. There's, there's going to be some interesting developments with this. And I, I could see it's something to do with China perhaps backing off a little bit and letting her out of the country or proving that she's fine. And while she's there, it's maybe not an issue. You know, it's not possible to prove that she's fine, but maybe they would release her. Um, and maybe she doesn't want to be released. We don't know all the situation because mm-hmm. we can't get an independent person to go in there and check it all out. But it's going it, it, to, you know, there's a lot of, just a lot of stuff coming out at the moment. If we do this again in two weeks, we might know a lot more. There's one other issue that you raise, and I, and I think it's, Absolutely, a hundred percent true. I I would expect that you don't you the world world countries you don't boycott China's games without some expectation of repercussions. Correct? Yes, uh, and I hail originally from Canada, but I've lived in Australia now for many years, and I'm a dual citizen. We've been punished uh, severely with sanctions. Our wine has huge uh, tariffs on it. You know, all sorts of products that we sell. Our lobsters are cheap in Australia at the moment because the Chinese used to take a lot. So we've been punished a lot. <laughs> by this. So, you know, uh, it's something that's, um, you know, you wish it wasn't there, this issue, but it is there. And, and they, they've got a bullying approach, China, and they're not, you know, they want to back off. They've proven with the Tibetan and the Hong Kong situation, the Uyghurs and things like that. But, you know, this is compounded. It, it, it's interesting, Scott, that we won't probably see this ever again, because the IOC's got new ways they select host cities. So the Chinese run under the old system where you cities bid and then there was only two cities left and uh, Beijing got it and they're the first city to have a winter and summer games but now they they vet the cities so for example my country Australia's got the 2032 summer games and they were only ones in the running at the end so there's no bid where you expend millions of dollars and wine and dine the IOC officials the IOC has a commission looks at it and then comes up saying we'd like you to do it so in the future they could rule out a country like china that's got these human rights issues or it isn't suitable to have the games uh, maybe it's a you know a, a despot running the country so they they wouldn't even get to this stage but we're we're faced with this now i think the air will clear after these games are over and if there's no COVID as well in the future but we're stuck with this one and it's going to be interesting to see because it all went quiet during tokyo when the tokyo games were on the winter games went quiet now it's resurfaced hasn't it in the last two months with mm-hmm. all these new issues so the human rights groups must be you know, somewhat glad that this has happened with Peng Shui because it's brought more attention to their cause. Well, and and last thing, I mean, you said several minutes ago that China might pull out of the Olympic movement if this were to happen, but I'm not, is it really just going to be a sports reaction? It would seem to me that if a bunch of countries, if Canada, for example, decided to be the tall poppy and stick its head up and say, we're not going, uh, there would be broader problems for Canada economically than simply China not participating in a Canadian Olympics. Canada would be facing economic problems and other things, right? Yes, and we just got the two Michaels issue resolved, didn't we, just recently? Yes. So, you know, it, it's, it's a shame. And if Vancouver put up its hand to host a postponed Winter Games, that would cause issues down the track as well. So there's, you know, major ramifications. And if you look at the Winter Games, unlike the Summer Games, there's only a handful of nations that are really powerful. So the Chinese are up and coming the Winter Games, but not one of the most powerful ones. 
you know, Russia, uh, Norway, Finland, Canada, um, you know, United States are really powerful. So it's, you know, the power is in the hands of a few countries. And it'd be interesting if they all banded together and the issue keeps, you know, going along, you know, like we'll see, there might be something happen. Like there might be some major concessions made for Peng Shui, or there could be, you know, a, a postponement or, or pressure put, put on China. But most of the powers to be where the, you know, it's a money issue. The broadcasting is a money issue. The sponsors are a money issue. The I, for the IOC, it's a money issue. So what we're seeing is that, um, you know, we're not seeing widespread hopes for a boycott. And the athletes, I'm sure they don't want to see it. They, they hopefully they can protest in their own way and do something uh, that's acceptable to all parties. But you know, I don't think we're going to see a, a full-on boycott. But it'll be still interesting. I won't say no. Dick Pound from Montreal, the former vice president of the IOC and Canadian lawyer who's head of WADA previously, he's saying never say never about this issue. It, it could it could change dramatically. There is one way that Canada could uh, could make a statement. Um, our men's hockey team is in the same bracket as the Chinese, the host one, and apparently China's team is awful. Just send Canada's men's team out there to humiliate them by scoring 45 goals in a game and, you know, on Chinese television. That's not going to solve anything, but I think some people might get a chuckle, if nothing else. Yeah, because there was just recent um, news that maybe they were going to send in another team to replace China because they aren't competitive. And they, they rescinded that. They're going to let the home team, the Chinese, compete. They're in, they're in a bracket with Canada and the U.S., so they're going to get spanked really badly. And uh, it'll be a bit embarrassing. Uh, there's no, uh, like, I think it's in, isn't in baseball, junior boys baseball, World Series. There's a, you know, a... a Mercy rule. Yeah, mercy rule. Okay, yeah, no mercy rule here. Connor McDavid will have 27 goals and set a record for most goals in one single game. I know, um, it'll be, it'll be well, fascinating to see, but it, it's a fascinating topic. We don't know where it's going to end up. It's it's very hot at the moment. I read every day. There's lots of um, blogs and articles and things, and I try to keep up with it, and it's, it's hard. I, I just don't know what direction. Like you said, there's no black and white. There's no yes and no to this at the moment. Dr. Richard Baca, as the Beijing Winter Olympics countdown begins, calls to boycott the genocide games grow. You can read that on theconversation.com. Dr. Baca, thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you. I enjoy it very much. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.